If we could open up our Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Starting in verse 20, and we'll read to verse 26. Verse 20 to 26. Now among those who went up to the worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew, and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. As always, Father God, it's always instructing, enlightening, illuminating, strengthening, convicting, uh, warning, rebuking, and uh, correcting, Father God. So we just thank you that your word is truly a lamp onto our feet and a light onto our path, Father God. And we pray, God, through your word today, you encourage your church, Father God. You wash your church. You Edify your church, Father God. You direct your church, Father God. You realign our thoughts with your thoughts, Father God, that we understand the higher purpose of our life. Yes, there's a higher purpose for our life. There's a higher reason just for our personal salvation. It's all to the glory of Jesus Christ. His hour has truly come, Father God, and that hour has changed human history as we know it. In Jesus' name, amen. As we started several weeks ago, we were speaking about evangelism and sharing our faith, how it's the Christian's duty, it's our responsibility to share our relationship with Christ, to share the saving relationship that only Christ can give. And and we can be as technical as we want, we can be as as, uh, simple as we want, we can sit there and explain what happened in the garden with the fall all the way to the new heaven and new earth and what Christ has done for us if we're equipped. And we can simply say, once I was blind, but now I see. And we can share our testimony of what Christ has done personally in our life. Sharing Christ, that is the message. Sharing Christ. Sharing what Christ has done for us. Sharing what Christ wants to do for other people. Sharing that responsibility that God gives us. That loving responsibility to take this gospel to the ends of the world. Teaching people to obey Christ. Believe in Him. And and we're part of that. But as we've been speaking, sometimes we can get easily sidetracked in our witness. Our witness can be put on the side because of much uh, unbelief. Uh, much rejection after a while can wear someone down. You know, it's like, where do you go? Everybody I talk to about God just doesn't want to hear it. Uh, there's an answer for that in the Bible. It says, if you go to one town and they reject you, kick the dust off and go to the next town. You know, you go find someone else who will listen to you. It's as simple as that. You know, so there is an answer to that. But it, it's hard. It's hard. We spoke about two aspects. Last week we spoke about uh, the fear of man, how 
over and over and over again, we can be intimidated by people's unbelief. And other people's unbelief can actually start to uh, dictate the quality of our faith in Christ. And it can start to silence us. A quality of faith in Christ is not a silent, passive faith. It's a faith that speaks up. It's a faith that shares Christ, even in hostile situations. And that's what Jesus was teaching us last week, to fear God, who can kill the body and soul in hell. And don't fear man, because man has limited power. Though man can truly kill the body, in God's eyes, that's truly limited authority. That's limited power over our life. Ultimately, man can't really do anything to us. And, but we all have to get over that because there is an intimidating factor. You know, we live in America, our reputations mean everything, and what are people going to think, what are people going to say? You know, we go, have to go through an awkward stage of sharing our faith. But it's something God really provokes us on the inside. It's not for the pastor or for one or two evangelists in the church. There's a difference between the evangelist and evangelizing. The evangelist, by his nature, by his calling, by his gifting of the Holy Spirit, he will proclaim Christ and his saving word to a dying world to anybody, anywhere, basically anytime. Whether it's formal or informal, that's what the evangelist does. But evangelizing is a little different. We're all called to share our faith. Most of it is just friendship evangelizing. Speaking to our friends, speaking to our family, speaking to neighbors, speaking to the people who are in our sphere of influence that God is bringing to our life or God is bringing us into their life. Especially from the local church perspective, uh, we're here for many, many years and we'll be here for many more years to come. So from the local church perspective, we're not trying to shake the tree until some kind of fruit falls out. We sow years and years into people's lives as we show them our love for God and love for themselves and our good works. And there's a little different. That's how it is individually, too. Some people are going to be in our life for a long time. And you win these people over. You, you sow into their life. You show them the love of Christ. We don't have to shake the tree until they come running down the, the, down the corridor shouting hallelujah. That's nice. I would like to see that. But roll up your sleeves. It's hard work. There are seasons of revival where God does wonderful things, but on a whole, we work with the ordinary means of grace. We share, we continue to share, we continue to share our testimony and every good thing God is doing in our life. The week before that, we spoke about the power of the word of God alone. Just the power of the word. It is not up to you and me to try to make something grow. As a matter of fact, I'm not called to harvest. I'm called to sow. We are to sow the message. We are to share the message. We are constantly watering the message and, and just sharing our faith. That's sowing. But the actual miracle that Jesus teaches us is that how it grows, the farmer does not know. All he knows is that something takes place within the human heart. And only God has the power to raise something spiritually dead and make it alive. And he does it through the message. The message is self-initiating, uh, self-germinating. It really does produce fruit as Jesus says, on its own. And the farmer does not know how. And it's important for us to know that because it, it, it removes our emotional state out of it. Sometimes we go through deliberations. How, what can I say to this person? They're not going to listen. And we talk ourselves out. It's a paralysis by analysis. Instead of just sharing our faith in a very simple way, totally trusting in the Holy Spirit, totally trusted, trusting in the God, Totally trusting that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation and just sharing that in a very liberating, uh, unself-righteous way. Just, you can generally love people who are in the worst of sins because God frees us to do that. 
He actually frees us to go to the worst of the worst and just share the saving message of Christ and leave it to God. It's a wonderful, wonderful prescription. As a matter of fact, it does not fail. God will bring those he's died for into the kingdom of God. And today I want to talk about something else that is something else that's behind the scene and we might not see. Jesus speaks about this principle of dying. And it's where we want to speak about dying to self tonight. It's, it's a hidden dynamic of dying to self-interest. We, it's hard to believe that I could be so consumed with myself and my own kingdom, my own world, that it makes me impotent in sharing the gospel. And that's one of the principles that Christ is teaching us here. And I'll get into it as we go on. Because Jesus really wants to deal with that, uh, excuse me, that part of us that still loves the world. We still love the world. We still love the things in the world. Though we're called not to love the world and the things in the world. Because the things in the world are not from God. They're going to pass away. But everybody who does the will of God will live forever. But yet, it's easy. Tell me, am I wrong when I say it's easy to fall into self-consumption. I mean, the, 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 the nation we live in, the culture we live in, just points to self-consuming, self-interest. And we can get caught up in it that I can actually walk next to people all my life for many years and many, many years, decades, and truly not be concerned with their soul. And truly not saying, how can I not? Even with fear and trembling, I'm compelled. If someone's going to be in my life for any length of time, I'm compelled by the Spirit of God that somehow I have to get the message to them, even if it's a track. Even if it's saying, can can we speak about faith? How's your faith doing? That's my opening line to everybody. Because this way I don't insult anybody. How's your faith? And if they don't say, I don't have no faith, then that's a door to go in one direction. They say, well, you know, I'm doing okay, so let's talk. That's my opening line. That's my, would you go out with me? Remember when we were kids? How am I going to ask this girl out? You know what I mean? I'm so walking, you know, and we stumble. But that's, that's how I do it. That's my opening line. That's my, would you go out with me line? How's your faith doing? You'd be surprised how much effective dialogue I get with that. Just that alone. Because we meet people where they're at. I'm not speaking from here as the pastor, prophet, and evangelist, down on sinners, saying you're going to hell. I I come down, best I can, condescend like Christ came to us, and meet them right there, ask them how their faith is, get the dialogue going, as Jesus did with the woman at the well, and watch what the Holy Spirit can do. But we need to realize, we really have to take what Christ is saying here, uh, very carefully, uh, uh, we really have to check our own heart in this, and we all have to ask this question. Is my own self-interest drowning out? Remember, is my own self-interest drowning out someone else's need of salvation? Let me give you a little hint. Jesus is not coming down again to share the message. That's our job. This text, like many others, is revealing the cunning nature of the world and its its opiate-like effect on the Christian in effective living and effective witnessing. Truly dying to self is what Christ is teaching us over here. As I quoted already, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh... 
desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away along with all his desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. James 4.4 4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Jesus, in chapter 13, along with chapter 15, speaks much about fruit-bearing. Much about it. Chapter 15 speaks about the fruit of the virtues of Christ in our life, along with the fruit of salvation that glorifies God. Uh, But here he's, he's speaking about discipleship onto salvation for other people. The fruit he's talking about here is the fruit of bringing people into the kingdom of God, the fruit of sharing the message. Uh, and how important that is. It's all, in chapter 13, chapter 15, is all towards the glory of God. The end uh, objective here is the glory of God. And that's something that should really fill each and every Christian's heart, is the glory of God, the reputation of God, the recognition of God. That really should grip our life. That should be a, a characteristic of every Christian is God's glory, God's honor, that sin is recognized who God is and seen him in our life and the message we carry. But for our purpose of sharing Christ effectively with others, I want to highlight this spiritual principle that Christ lays down here. He's teaching us from his own life and death. He's, he's teaching us a principle when it comes to the salvation of others. And it's really, he says it in verse 26, and that this is Jesus' point in verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. The connection is strong to his death and to his, his uh, laying down his life for other people to bear fruit. And he's saying, if anyone serves me, he must follow me and die the way I died. And where I am, there my servants also will be. For if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If we go into the context, we start in verse 20. Jesus' ministry has just made a drastic change from speaking to the Jews who would not recognize him uh, for who he truly was as their Messiah, though he performed many, many signs. In the light of everything he has done and all the signs he has showed them, the end result of the Jewish leaders, what they said that he's in cahoots with Satan himself. That he's aligned himself with Satan. It's at this point that the gospel in John changes and, uh, and, and to certain Greeks that were seeking him out now. And it's really a foreshadowing that the gospel is going to go public now. It's not about just the Jewish sheep anymore. It's about Jesus says, I have many sheep that need to hear my voice. And this is an interlude into it that the Greeks are concerned about speaking to Jesus. And Jesus gives them a strange answer. He doesn't say, well, bring them over here. He's basically saying, I must die and be glorified because a living Messiah is going to do the Greeks no, no good. As a matter of fact, a living Messiah does nobody no good. I must die and become the spiritual Messiah, not just of the Jewish people, but of the Greek-speaking people also for the whole world. So he gives this cryptic answer to what the Greeks really need. And they don't need to see Jesus. They need to be saved by Jesus the way the rest of us do. Uh... And Christ uses this context to speak about dying for others. And this is really something I really want to nail down today. How effective is our spiritual life in other people's lives? How effective is it? Are we carrying a message, but are we effective? Is our life truly affecting 
someone else or other people's lives? Is it truly affecting someone? Is it just white noise? It's there? But are we truly affecting someone's life and bearing fruit? Of course, now what Jesus is saying here, we can't do what Christ did. Only Christ can die for the sins of the world and bear much fruit. But he does bring us into this process of dying and not loving this world or loving our life in this world to bring glory to God. True disciples reflect this in their own life of dying to self. Please understand, being used by God for the sake of others is always costly. I hope you understand that. Being used by God for the sake of others is always, always costly and at times painful. But it's truly expected from us. There's no special dispensation dispensation given to some. It's expected of all true discipleships. And that's what Christ is speaking of here. But as true as this is, we can still find that unrestrained, and I say unrestrained self-interest is an enemy of true evangelism and sharing Christ effectively with people. And that's something we all have to have a self-evaluation of where we are in sharing. How would you rate yourself? Do you share? Do you not share? Do you avoid it? Is it awkward? Do you go through it? Do you pray for God to open up your mouth, as Paul did, that we speak the way we ought to speak? Is it something we put on the shelf? It's something we're just totally, absolutely indifferent to. Are we indifferent to sharing Christ? The truth is, many people are. It's totally indifferent. It's over there. It's not even part of the Christian life. Though both the New Testament, the whole New Testament, especially the Gospels and the Epistles, truly speak of sharing Christ. This text gives us some of the answers to this problem of self-consumption. And so we're going to go through it a couple of verses over here and some applications, some uh, observations. Verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. We need to remember that our life is truly about Christ's death. For without it, we are truly still dead and not alive, and we're self-deceived. No matter how well we can feather our nest, it's not truly living until we're living for Jesus. We are living under par if our life isn't consumed with this hour that came to Jesus Christ, this hour to be glorified. If that's not the consuming reality in our life, the Holy Spirit is not producing that in our life, slowly but surely, what the apostles received at Pentecost, this overwhelming understanding of Christ, that happens in our life as we mature as Christians. Until Christ's glory, not our comfort, is the center of it, we're really going to be missing out on what the spiritual life really is. Spiritual life is just not about drinking anymore, about fornicating anymore, smoking, cussing. It's not just a moral issue over here. We carry a life, the spiritual life message of Christ. And that's what glorifies him. God is glorified in the preaching of the foolishness of the cross. You can have 10 million people looking at a sunset saying, praise God. And one little saint handing out a track on 86th Street, and God has, that person has all God's attention. Because that's how God is glorified. That's how God is glorified. This precious hour now defines every hour 
that ever followed it. This hour of Christ being lifted up. This tension that you see within the Gospels, saying the Son of Man is going to be given over to the the Pharisees and the elders and the leaders of Israel, and he's going to be crucified, but the third day he's going to rise again. He's been saying that for three years in his ministry. He now says the hour has come. This is what it's all about. I emptied myself of my divine nature. I have come to earth. I have given up all my rights to live on earth as God. I came, I live as a man. I've emptied of myself. And now the hour has come to be glorified. This hour is the driving reality behind the whole rest of the New Testament. From his emptying himself in glory to giving himself up on the cross. <coughs> this is what the apostles were consumed with. This one hour, excuse me. It's really not just a literal hour, it's just a a portion of time in human history. This is the time that Jesus Christ was going to be glorified. And he's going to be glorified by self-sacrifice, by giving up his life, by being obedient to the will of God. And we all know that we've all drinking of his grace, grace upon grace. We all know we're here. We're, we're happy on the inside. We've got spiritual joy on the inside because we have tasted of Christ's goodness. We have tasted of the fruit of that hour. That's what woke me up this morning. That, that's what changes my life. That's what gets me to love where I used to be loveless. That's what takes the prejudice out and the anger and the criticism and the judgment out of my life. That's what gets me to say no to sin and to repent when I do sin. It's that hour. It's the fruit of that hour, that grace that was ushered in. We all live by that hour. The apostles knew it. The whole whole New Testament speaks about that hour now. From Acts on, it's all about what Christ has done. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The way to Jesus' own God-ordained glory is through death and personal sacrifice. It's a kingdom paradox. Death brings life. Death brings life. But it gets better. His death brings us life. But where the master is, his servant is going to be too. And that's what he's calling us to. But how does this work out in our life? Well, if you listen to Paul, listen to Paul in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. He says, we always carry in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life where? If you know anything about the Corinthian church, it was a mess. They were filled with fornicators and murderers and gossipers and, and the sexually immoral and homosexuals. And it was, it was a deviant place, Corinth. But yet God came to Paul in a vision, in a dream and said, Do not be afraid. I have many people in this place. And he stayed on for effective 
ministry. It was hard ministry. But yet it was through his hardship, his self-sacrifice, carrying the death of Jesus. Understand, when we pick up our cross in self-denial, we are truly carrying the death and the life of Jesus within us. So he says, death comes to me. It's been hard work. I would not do it any other way. Because in this death, the life of Jesus doesn't just come to me. It comes to you, O Corinthians. A certain dying to self must take place. Paul is sowing his life. He's sowing his life. That others may live. It's not easy. Your salvation and my salvation is not easy. As a matter of fact, when we go through an uncomfortable process of dying to self that others may live, we start to taste in some small way the price that Christ paid. When you're persecuted like he was persecuted, you're reviled the way he was reviled. We rejoice because our names are written in the heaven. There's a reward in heaven. We taste how hard it is to purchase our salvation. This is true life. Watching others prosper at our expense. Watching others experience freedom from sin the way Paul saw the freedom the Corinthians tasted from sexual perversion and from every other sin in the ancient world, no different than today. He rejoiced. He was watching others experience freedom from sin and pain and suffering. And slavery and addictions and self-deception and confusion about God. He, he saw people coming out of the darkness and into the light to serve the living God. And he said, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth dying to self. It's worth being persecuted. It's worth suffering. Look at life is coming to you, old Corinthians. Watching marriages become whole, children come back home, families united. In this, Jesus Christ is glorified. Yes, this is living. This is living. This is why Jesus says if a man loves his life in this world, you lose it. Because you're never going to taste what Paul tasted. You're not going to taste watching someone come out of darkness and into light. Did you ever sit there and watch someone cry to you how grateful they were? That you bring them Jesus? This is life. This is living. It's the paradox of the Christian kingdom. We truly experience life as we die to self and the things of this world. These hindrances to true evangelism and true sharing the faith. Jesus calls unproductiveness. Remaining alone. Caring for no one else. Self produces nothing spiritually. And in God's economy is actually worthless. It's worthless in God's economy. Verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is Christ's way of describing saving faith. James says faith what? Without works is what? Okay, Christ's saying the same thing. This is Jesus' way of saying this is what saving faith is. Christ is saying this is what saving faith is. If you, if you love your life at the end, you lose it. 
But if you hate your life in this world, in this sinful world, with its sinful desires, and if it's self-consumption, you keep it to eternal life. That's, that's Christ's description of saving faith. I'm going to give you a paraphrase. Whoever loves his life is actually in the process of losing it right now, even though they attempt to live it. But whoever is losing it for my sake in the gospel, with all its pain, all its suffering, all its discomfort, has already begun to live and to enjoy eternal life here and now, as they see the fruit of salvation in their own lives, in the lives of others. That's what Christ is saying. In the context he's speaking about here, it's not just our personal dying to self, giving up our own little sins. This is self-denial for the sake of others. He's comparing what he's going to do to what true discipleship does. This is true life. Observations. Application. How can we know if that precious hour of Christ's glory is our precious hour today? How do we know? How can we know if we're really dying so others can live? How can I know that what I do for church, really what I'm doing for God, is from, for the glory of God? Ask yourself this question. If you dare. I'm going to ask you the question first. How can you really know you're really dying so others can live? Ask yourself this question. Do you value someone else's salvation? Are you rejoicing? Are you happy over someone else's victory over sin and their struggle with temptation? That's your answer. Because if you're doing it for people, you will rejoice in someone else's salvation. You will rejoice in someone else's Victory over sin. You'll be generally concerned how someone's doing in their spiritual life. That's how you know. And that's how I know. That if what we're doing so others can live. That's the motive. That's the fruit. Actually rejoicing in someone else's freedom from sin. Both in salvation and sanctification. That's how we know. If we're dying to self, that others may live. Because if you're really not concerned that people are getting saved, if you're not concerned that people are going through struggles with temptation, if you're not concerned that people, you're not rejoicing when someone says, I have victory. We've been praying together and I have victory. That's how you know. That's sweet. And my fear is that many of God's people are nowhere on the map. Because we're blinded by self-consumption. That's a price 
To be concerned with someone else's salvation is a price to your life. To be concerned that someone else is going through a difficult time of temptation and you're praying and caring for them is a price. And that's why there's no genuine joy. There's no flesh in the game. But isn't this true discipleship? Doesn't this challenge our American version of Christianity? Doesn't this really come right down and roost into our own lives and our own hearts? Doesn't it just sit there and bear witness to our conscience that we're trying to avoid the unpleasantness of dying that others may live? These are real questions that deserve our full attention. They really do. Please, this is my simple prayer for this church. Don't take this message or the one being fearful of man or the the mystery of how it grows. Just don't listen to it and go home and forget it. Please, take it to prayer. Because that's where the grace is found. We don't have it. But God gives it. We really need to be proactive in this really giving our time and our energy and overcoming the fear of man and trusting that God will bring the increase. But we have to get out of comfort zones when it comes to sharing the gospel. We truly have to get out of comfort zones. Being used by God to share effectively the gospel message takes time, energy, self-denial, and not just concerns for other people's souls. There's a higher reason we share There's a higher reason we get uncomfortable. There's a higher reason we deny ourselves. It's for Christ's glory. That's why. Father, we thank you for challenging our hearts, Father God. We thank you for revealing to us, Father God, that we could stifle growth in others. We can stifle salvation in others, Father God, by being mesmerized by the things of this world, Father God, as Jesus teaches us. To really love our life in this world is to truly lose it and be totally ineffective for other people, Father God. God, open up our eyes anew and afresh, God. Bring us back to a first love, Father God. Bring us back to a time of fruitful, joyful labor for you, Father God, where other people's lives, both saved and unsaved, truly had our attention, Father God. And forgive us of the sin of self-consumption, Father God, and self-interest. Forgive us, Father God. Where you find that in our life, forgive us for the seasons we go through, God, where we're just truly concerned about ourselves, and and we pass by people that are starving and crying out for spiritual life, Father. Help us in this area, God, in Christ's name.